Isaiah 55, if you would stand for the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to do that. Isaiah 55, and we'll be looking at the first five verses in our opening reading, and then we'll get down into the passage here as we go. We only got about 35 minutes here, uh, getting, getting a little bit later start into the Bible study, but all the same, we'll, um, we'll get all of it that we can in 35 minutes. Verse 1 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people, a leader and commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Our title of our Bible study for the 55th chapter of Isaiah is just simply this, Come Thirsty. Come Thirsty. And uh, back in verse 1, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And you know what? Salvation is offered to those who are thirsty. Let's pray tonight. Lord, would you help us and guide us? Um, help us to set aside the distractions that maybe we came in with and just see the passage as it is. Lord God, help us to make applications to our heart that will help us to be better Christians. Lord God, we need your Spirit to lead us into all truth. And so as I teach the Bible... Lord God, would you lead us from within. And Lord God, bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Isaiah 53 really is a watershed moment in the book of Isaiah. We looked at that in great length. We saw in the 53rd chapter of Isaiah how that the prediction of the crucifixion of the Messiah was given. We saw in 53 how that it talked about stripes being laid upon the back of this suffering servant and how that uh, his hands and feet would be pierced. Uh, He would know much sorrow. And 53 lays out for us not only uh, the sin of, of mankind, but also the suffering of the Savior. And then the resurrection that he would experience there in the latter part of that chapter from the dead. So 53 is written about a coming Messiah who would be a suffering servant. Chapter 54 is written to the Jews, written to the nation of Israel. And uh, the very first word in chapter 54, as we highlighted, was the word sing. And I mentioned how that we have many songs that have been written about the cross and about the resurrected Savior and about the suffering uh, servant, the suffering Messiah. We know that Jesus came to earth and He fulfilled those prophecies there in 53. 54 is a promise to the Jews. 55 is written on the heels of chapter 53 and the suffering Messiah, but it's not written to the Jews. It's written to us Gentiles. And everyone here tonight that is not a Jew, that makes you a Gentile. All right. How many Gentiles in the room tonight? Raise your hand with me. 
Alright, good. So this is written to us, and uh, we get from this chapter that the gospel is not only available to the Jews. Jesus did not just come to die for the Jews. Jesus did not just raise again for the Jews, but yet He opens the door, verse 5 tells us, to the nations. And so um, uh, we're going to look tonight at how uh, the invitation of salvation that's made possible because of chapter 53 extends to us Gentiles here in chapter 55. So I've got uh, four points. We're going to get through maybe one or two of them tonight. Let's see how far we get. Uh, point number one tonight is this. We see the cost of eternal satisfaction. If you're new here, on the back of that prayer bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. You're encouraged to take notes as we go here. Uh, so uh, let's look at a, a few of these. Uh, uh, let, let's take these verses apart, verses 1 through 5, and let's look at these uh, uh, together carefully. And by the way, if you're, uh, there's several of you who are members of our church or attenders of our church. Maybe this is your first time or first time in a long time in a Wednesday evening service, and so I will repeat myself. Occasionally I say this, but when I sit down and study a chapter, one of the very first things I do after I've read the chapter through is I identify the paragraph markers in the chapter. And so if you look carefully at Isaiah 55 and you have a Bible with paragraph markings, you'll see that verse 1 down through verse 5 is a paragraph, and there is a new paragraph that picks up in verse number 6, and then another one that picks up in verse number 8. And so um, uh, my first three points uh, in my outline here are uh, follow that paragraph pattern, and then uh, uh, there's a fourth point I get a, a little bit deeper uh, down in verse number 11 and, and, and further. So we're going to look at those first five verses, especially tonight, and look at this first paragraph. Furthermore, your Bible has a marking of chapters and verses. All right, those chapter and verse markings were added after God gave the Bible to his prophets and is really just an index system. Imagine if we did not have an index system in our Bible. And I said to you tonight, open to the book of Isaiah, go about two thirds of the way there and look for the word ho. Uh, ho, everyone, you'd be like, well, where is this? And so uh, the, these verse markings were added so we would have an index system to quickly navigate uh, where we're going. It'd be like walking into a library and being told, go find the book on, and there's no catalog system. There'd be, uh, that would be a very difficult to do. So th that's there for our help. So let's jump in here tonight and look at the cost of eternal satisfaction. Verses 1 down through 5 is not just talking about uh, milk and wine and bread and water. These are all symbols of salvation. We'll see that in a moment. Notice letter A, the call. The call. Look with me at verse number 1. Look who the call is for. Notice here, it says there, those first three words, ho, Everyone. Now that word ho is a word of, of calling. It's a word of getting attention. It's a heralder that's standing out there with a horn calling everyone to the town square uh, for a meeting. And so uh, the disciple, uh, rather the, uh, the, um, uh, the prophet here, Isaiah, he calls out ho. He's getting everyone's attention. And those next two words are everyone. Everyone. This offer is not just for the Jews. This offer is for Everyone. This offer is not just for a handful of select people around the globe. No, this is a universal call. Notice letter B, the conditions. The conditions. Look with me back at verse number 1. It says, 
Ho, everyone that thirsteth. There's our first condition. Come ye to the waters. And, um, and, and uh, he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul uh, d- delighteth itself in fatness. Notice there at the beginning of verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth. You ever had somebody offer you a glass of water when you were not thirsty? You're quick to say, no thank you. No thank you. Um, imagine with me that you're riding through the desert in the southwest of uh, the United States. How many of you here have ever been out to that region and driven down a long strip of highway uh, where there's very little places to stop and the speed limits are wide open and you, you see one of those signs that says, stop and get gas now because you're not going to see another gas station for a very long way. So how many of you know what I'm talking about? All right, I've not been out there, but I, I've heard others, some of you, talk about that. Imagine that you're driving down a said strip of highway, and uh, you have been driving for uh, two hours, and you've not seen a gas station, you've not seen a restaurant, and you have no beverages in your car, and your mouth begins to get dry. You know, you're, you're in a place of dry heat, there's no uh, humidity, and you begin to feel the, the dryness of your body, and it, your mouth is telling you, you need to get something to drink. And lo and behold, you're coming up on a city and there's a billboard right there on the highway and it has a giant Coca-Cola that's perspirating and it has this word, thirsty, thirsty. You know what, if you have drinks in your car, you're probably just going to ride right on by that gas station or that pit stop and you're not going to stop and get the drink. But I'm going to tell you right now, don't get the Coke if you're thirsty. Get, stop and get a bottle of water, amen? Uh, Coke doesn't really hit the spot when you're really dehydrated. But that billboard is going to call your attention, is it not? You know, there's a lot of people, they're going through life, and they're not thirsty for the things of God because they have their fill with the world. They have their fill with entertainment. They have their fill with their friends. They have their fill with their sports. They have their fill with their clubs. They have their fill uh, with their uh, community and their get-togethers. And they have their fill with their gambling. And, and, and lo and behold, some gospel preacher comes along and says, let me tell you about salvation. Let me tell you about a water that will satisfy your thirst. And uh, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? And they're not thirsty because... They have their fill with the things of the world. Notice that the call is universal, but it is specific for people who are thirsty. Who are thirsty. I have found that God brings hardships and circumstances into people's lives that cause them to be thirsty because without those things, they would never actually turn to God for salvation. We see here the conditions, but notice in verse 2, there's yet another condition. It says, wherefore do ye spend money? Wherefore do ye spend money? Back in verse 1, it says there that this is available to those who have no money. 
Imagine you stop at that gas station in the middle of the desert and you go and you pick up a very large bottle of water. And I mean, you're really thirsty and you walk up to the register and you set that thing down and you say, all right, lay it on me. How much is it? And you know they have you raked over a barrel. They know that you're thirsty. You know they know that you're thirsty. They know you're thirsty and you know you're thirsty and you know they're going to say that's going to be $18, sir. By the way, don't ever buy a gas can at a gas station. You know why? Because if you're buying a gas can at a gas station, they know you've run out of gas. And you're going to pay four times as much for that gas can as you would at Walmart. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? I have bought more than one gas can at a gas station in my life. And I feel very violated every time I walk out of there. Um, but you know, they know they've got you over the barrel for that bottle of water. They know you're thirsty. And then they look at you and say, keep your money, it's free. What? No, it's free. Come on. No, really, today, that's free. Keep your money. And you know what God says to those that are thirsty, that come to Him thirsty? He says, come and partake of salvation. It is is free. We don't want your money. You know what? People try to take their money of good works and give that to God. And God says, nope, I won't take it. It's already been paid for. Again, look at verse 2. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which satisfieth not? The world is just filled with people. They labor and they labor and they labor to be happy. And you know what they find when they shut the music off and they're all by themselves in solitude and they're laying in bed at night and there's no music and there's no noise and they have their pillow time. You know what they find is that all of those things they cram down in their life to make them happy just never really gets it done. Never makes them happy. We labor and labor and labor and labor to be happy, but yet we cannot find it because the cost of eternal salvation was paid for on the cross. Jesus paid the cost and you can't pay for it yourself. Letter A, the call. Letter B, the conditions. Letter C, we see the correlations. The correlations. Look back at verse 1 and 2. Notice the um, metaphors that are given here. It says, and this is where we're going to dive deep into the Bible. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Um, uh, yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Verse 2 gives us the word bread. Let's look at these four items here that satisfy uh, on an eternal level. So these will be on the screen only. These won't be uh, on your, your bulletin, but feel free to write these down. First, notice, the first one no, they're given to us is the word water. Water. Who is the water that doesn't quench your physical thirst, but qu- quenches the thirst of your soul? Turn over to John chapter 7. Now, we are in the book of John on Sunday evenings, and so we've already looked at this passage, but turn over there with me briefly, quickly to John chapter 7. And if you're not uh, adept at moving around a Bible, then share with someone around you who is, or just sit tight and listen as I read these verses. But for sake of time, we're going to move quickly here. John 7, verse 37. The Bible says, In the last days, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, Listen to this, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living 
water. Who is the water that satisfies the thirst of the soul? Uh, what did Jesus tell the woman at the well there in Samaria? He said, if you drink of the water from that well, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I will give you, you will never thirst again. He, Jesus said, I am the water that quenches the thirst of your soul. Go back with me and look at Isaiah 55 and notice that the next one on the list there is the word wine. Now, the word wine is associated with joy in the Bible and it is associated with the Holy Ghost in the Bible. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at just a handful of verses here. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18. Ephesians chapter 5 in verse number 18, if you can make it over there quickly for me. Uh, the Bible says, there it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Someone said, Pastor, is it a sin to drink wine? I'm going to answer it this way. It is a sin to be drunk. Alright? My standard is a little bit higher than that. But most wine is made for the purpose of getting you drunk. So don't get drunk. Alright? That's the very, very, very bare standard. Be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess. Look at the correlation here. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Notice that the way wine or alcohol controls a drunk man, the Spirit of God wants to control your life. You see that? To the degree that alcohol takes over the character of a man, to that same degree the Holy Spirit of God wants to take over the character of your life. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6? The Bible says there, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now, I did not include this verse in my notes. I did, I, I did look at it in my studies. Proverbs ties the word joy to wine. Joy to wine. So there's two thoughts here. There's the thought of joy, and there's the thought of the Holy Ghost, and both of those are connected to wine. Wine gives us joy, and it is a symbol of the Holy Ghost. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, we see those two thoughts tied together. The joy of the Holy Ghost. Consider John chapter 15 and verse 11, where Jesus said, These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now listen, uh, happiness is what Satan wants uh, you to have. Joy is what God wants you to have. Now, let me be clear on this. God wants you to have happiness also, but here's God's order. God's order is that you know joy, and as a result of joy, you experience happiness. Satan doesn't want you to worry about joy. He just wants you to find Happiness. You say, well, Pastor, what is the difference between joy and happiness? From my understanding, joy comes about from an inward stimulation of the Holy Ghost. Happiness comes about from external stimuli that comes upon you. Uh, you get a new house, you might have some happiness. Uh, you get a new car, you might have some happiness. You go down to the, the cell phone store and you get the latest, greatest cell phone. That might give you some happiness. You upgrade your computer or you'll get a new uh, uh, set of clothes. 
clothes, or ladies, you get a new purse, or uh, you maybe buy a, a, a new watch, and those things give you happiness, but my friend, those things are happiness devoid of joy. Joy comes when we are saved and we know salvation and we have the Holy Ghost who's working within us. And as Christ takes over control of our heart, joy begins to be full and overflowing in our life. Uh, I came across this quote in, in preparation for this Bible study, I was doing some studying on joy and I came across a quote that I have just fallen in love with. Here's the quote. Joy is the flag that is flown in the heart when the master is in residence. Joy is the flag that is flown in the heart when the master is in residence. You may know that in, uh, in many wealthy homes, when the master is home or the chief of house is home, a flag is put up on the pole. And when he travels, the flag is taken down. When the master takes up residence in your heart, joy is the flag that is flown high on the pole of your heart. If Jesus is in charge of your life and you are surrendered to the Lord and the Holy Spirit is there, you have the wine of joy and you experience that from salvation. Water, we see that in Isaiah 55. What is the cost of eternal satisfaction? Well, we know that the cost was paid at Calvary when Jesus died for our sins. Jesus gives us the water. We experience the wine when the Holy Ghost is in charge. How about the word milk? Go back with me to Isaiah 55 and look with me at verse number 1. It says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, Come to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Milk. Uh, how about milk? Now, uh, milk is an essential part of life, especially for a baby. Turn over to First Peter 2 if you can tonight. First Peter 2. Uh, milk is essential. And, you know, uh, milk is digested food that has been turned into uh, milk. A, a mother or an animal, female animal who has uh, offspring will take in meat and will digest that and turn it into milk and then lactate and then feed that child. And uh, the milk of God's Word comes when someone sits down with the Bible and they take in God's Word and they mentally chew on it and they mentally digest it and then they give you the milk. Now, my goal when I come in each Wednesday night, Sunday morning and Sunday evening is to give you the milk of God's Word. I sit down with the passage throughout the week and I digest and I give that out. In a sense, you could call me a milkman. That's one of my roles as a pastor. I'm a milkman. Look at First Peter chapter 2. Uh, you just got saved and you're a new babe in Christ. You've just put your faith in the Lord uh, for salvation. You are a babe in Christ and as a babe in Christ, you need the milk of God's Word and a steady diet of it. First Peter 2 verse 1 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, this is what you do when you get saved. You need to lay aside malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Verse 2, how do you do that? Well, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. Verse 3, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Oh, there's so much here uh, we could talk about. But have you ever seen a newborn baby who's starving, 
and desiring to eat. And they're laying there on their back. And what are they doing? They're kicking, right? They're moving their hands all over the place. And their whole body begins to shake if you don't get to them soon enough. And that mouth is just wide open and they're screaming. And then a mom comes and swoops that baby up and puts that baby on her breast. And immediately that body goes from shaking to breathing heavily as they're sucking down the milk. We all know what that is like. Uh, We all uh, have some understanding of that. All of us were probably there at one point in our life, were we not? And um, uh, all of us were fed milk as a child. And you know what? There ought to be a strong craving for God's Word. And when you uh, put your faith and trust in Christ and you're satisfied, God's Word ought to satisfy your soul. I'd say tonight that if you find the Bible to be boring or you find the Bible or teaching of the Bible to not be your cup of tea or your glass of milk, my friend, you may very well want to check your salvation because to a believer in Christ, there's nothing more precious than the Word of God being fed to your soul, to your weary soul. It brings you a satisfaction. Notice next the next word given there in Isaiah 55 can be found in verse 2, and that is the word bread. Look at verse number 2. It says, Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread? Oh, people are out spending their money in order to satisfy their soul on things that bring no satisfaction. I find it funny today that the kids in the streets, they call money bread, right? And uh, that's a word they throw around. Give me some of that bread. The Bible here says you're spending money on things that are not bread. And so that street language is incorrect. Uh, but um, uh, spending their money on things that are not bread and uh, that don't satisfy the soul. Uh, listen, we all need a good piece of bread to satisfy our hunger. Uh, John chapter 6. Can you turn over to John Chapter 6 and verse number 48. John 6 verse 48. Jesus here is going to correlate Himself to not only being the water that satisfies the soul, but the bread that satisfies our, our, our hunger. God is, Jesus is water that satisfies our thirst and our soul. He's bread that satisfies the hunger of our soul. Verse 48, and this is a metaphor. Don't get caught up on being literal here. Uh, in fact, if you read the entire passage in context, we know this to be a metaphor. Jesus says as much. Verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. Uh, Jesus continues in verse 50. This is the bread, speaking of himself in the incarnation. This is the bread which came down, cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. He says, I am. Am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And the flesh of Jesus was given on the cross as they beat him and as they marred him. And as he was nailed to that cross, the sin of all mankind was laid on our Savior and our sin sucked out his life. And you know what? By believing in Jesus, you are partaking of that bread that satisfies uh, the hunger of the soul. And uh, just really quick here, I'll move on and uh, uh, to the next uh, thought here in the passage. But I remember some years back, Tom Brady had won, I think, his second or third Super Bowl back when he played for the New England Patriots. And he sat down and was interviewed by a CBS reporter. I believe it was 
for 60 minutes. And he said, even after having won these Super Bowls and achieved these things and gotten this money and signed this big contract, he said, there has to be something else out there. You know what he was saying? I have money, I have fame, I have wealth. I've got a pretty wife. But even in all that, I'm missing something deep down inside. Many, many people have found money but are still miserable. Many, many people have found fame but have checked themselves into a drug rehab. Many, many people have found all of the things that Satan wants you to believe will make you happy, will satisfy your soul. My friend, I want to tell you tonight, there's only one person that can satisfy your soul. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And He paid the price. He paid the cost for that eternal satisfaction. Letter D, we see the covenant. We see the covenant. And we uh, will do our best to get through this thought here. But boy, this is a good one. Go back to Isaiah 55. And let's look at verses 4 and 5. And let's unpack this a little bit here. In fact, let's back up to verse number 3 if we can. Verse 3 says this, Incline your ear and come unto me here, and your soul shall live. Look here. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Now, When we see the words David and covenant in the same verse, we have to look at 2 Samuel 7 because that's where we find the Davidic covenant. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Look look with me at verse number 4. Behold, I have given him. Who is this him? This him is not David. This him is... Uh, this hymn is the, the, the fulfillment of that covenant. This hymn is the Christ. This hymn is Jesus. Verse 4, Behold, I have given him the Messiah, the Christ. We know that to be Jesus. For a witness to the people, a leader and commander of the people, behold, thou, this is uh, Christ, shalt call the nation that thou knowest not, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God, and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Go with me to Second Samuel 7 in your Bibles, if you would. Now, um, uh, well, let's take it one thought at a time. I... I've got about 15 things rattling in my head at once. I've got to stay on track here. Look at 2 Samuel 7. We see the covenant that God gave to Samuel now, or to David rather. Uh, David wanted to build a temple for God, and God said, no, you're not going to build me a temple. He said, instead of me build, you building me a house, instead, rather, I'm going to build your house or your heritage. Look at 2 Samuel 7, and we find this Davidic covenant beginning in verse 11. Uh, Here the prophet is speaking to him from God, and it says here, this is Nathan, uh, the prophet, speaking to Samuel, and as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, also the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee in house. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt keep with thy fathers, I will set up the seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom, look here, forever. The kingdom of David would be established forever. I will build his father, and he, I will be his father. He shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with stripes of the children of men. But, but my mercy shall not depart, shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established for. 
forever. Here God told David, I'm going to make a covenant with you that I will allow your throne to be established forever. We know Jesus is called the Son of David. In fact, in the end of Revelation, uh, Jesus is said to sit on the throne of David. We know that Jesus was born through, excuse me, the lineage of David. And you know what Jesus Christ was? He was the fulfillment of this covenant. But Jesus did not just come for the Jews. No, Jesus came also for the Gentiles. Now, Jesus said to the Syrophoenician woman who was a Gentile who came to him for healing, he said this, he said, I am come only for the lost sheep of Israel. And so some would look at that and say, well, see, he didn't come for the Gentiles. He came only for the Jews. And I would say this, the earthly ministry of Jesus was meant for the Jews. But when Jesus died on the cross, he did not just die for the sins of the Jews. Rather, he died for the sins of the whole world. This passage tells us this in Isaiah 55. But so does 1 John 2, which tells us that he is not only the propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for the whole world at Romans 1.16 tells us the Jew first and also the Greek or also the Gentile. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, He looked at His disciples and right before He left us, He said this to His Jewish disciples. He said this, Go ye, Mark 16.15, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know who Jesus came for? He came for every creature. Jesus did not just die on the cross for the Jews. He came through the Jews. He was born through the Jewish people. But Jesus came to be the Messiah for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. What is His covenant? His covenant uh, began with David, but it is wide open to everyone. Now look with me at verse 5 of Isaiah 55. And um, let's look at this here. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not. Now I'm going to tell you right here that that part of that verse is pesky. It is pesky. Are you bringing me a bottle of water? Thank you so much. All right. I came thirsty. Amen. All right. Um, I I I labored over that part of that verse. Who is this nation? All right, because this there's a distinction in this verse. Look back at it. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, and nations plural that knew not thee. So there is a nation called, and then there is uh, all of the nations, or nations, plural. And so I really wanted very bad to come down to the conclusion that this was the United States of America. But you know what I couldn't do? I couldn't come to that conclusion, because that's not what it says. Uh, uh, there is a nation here referenced, and we don't know, uh, we don't know definitively what a nation is. But broadly, what is verse 5 saying? It's saying here, all of the nations, it's saying here that this is an open invitation. This covenant it, uh, uh, began with David and now it extends to all of the nations. What is this? What is this covenant? Watch this. It's a covenant to come thirsty and leave satisfied. It's a covenant to drink of the water, to partake of the wine, to partake of the milk, and to partake of the bread of salvation. And when you do that, you, you experience eternal satisfaction. And so what is uh, uh, Isaiah telling us here in these first five verses? He's telling us a few things. He's telling us here first 
that salvation is available to everybody, the call. He's telling us, though, that it's available to those that are thirsty and those that are willing to come and not lay down any money and pay for it. He's saying if you'll meet the conditions, the call is for you. And he's saying that this is wide open to anyone and everyone who will partake. I would say this to you this evening. If you've not yet given your heart to Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then my friend, what are you waiting for? You can, you can take in those things that don't satisfy. You're going to get to the end of your life and realize that you've wasted your money on bread, on things that are not bread. And you've labored for things that just really don't matter. No, instead, you need to come to Christ with a humble heart and you need to believe to be saved. Next week, we're going to pick up with verse 6 and 7. We saw, uh, number one, we saw, uh, let's see, let me look back at my notes here. We saw the cost of eternal satisfaction. Next week, we're going to look at the command to seek. Look at the verse number 6 with me. We're not going to jump into it tonight, but I just want you to read this verse with me. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. We'll look at verses 6 and 7, uh, along with the, uh, the verses uh, that come behind it. Uh, there's a lot of verses in here, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Uh, we find that verse in here, and uh, several others, uh, God's word not returning void, yet a little bit deeper. A lot of really good things. I hope you'll come uh, ready to grow uh, and ready to learn from God's word.